0: Hey, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Good. Hey, look at your neighbor and give him a high five. There we go. Let's get this thing started. If you're joining us from home, high five someone. If there's no one to high five, high five a mirror. I'm just so excited to continue this series. It feels so good to be in community. So during this time on earth, Jesus experienced the full gamut of human emotion. He felt joy. He felt sorrow. He felt anger. Yes, Jesus got angry. Many of you know that he made a whip and drove out the money changers that were gathered at the temple in Jerusalem. But I, However, many of us don't know that Jesus actually got angry when Lazarus died. John's Gospel tells us when Jesus saw Mary weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. Now, was Jesus angry with Mary or her sister Martha? No. Was he angry that the people gathered there were, were, were wailing and crying? No, he wasn't mad at them. Jesus was actually anger with death itself. He was mad at death and the fact that Lazarus had to die. Now, not only was Jesus angry, but we also see another emotion of his in this passage. John tells us, then Jesus wept. And the people standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. See, death breaks God's heart, just as it breaks our hearts. Many of us experience much grief and longing when people die. Well, the same goes for God. See, this serves as a reminder that Jesus weeps with us in our times of pain. Now, so many people, they they feel like God is so far away, so distant, that he he doesn't really care about us or is indifferent, and he's disconnected, when in reality, Jesus was and is God. Jesus was God walking here on earth amongst us. So if we want to know what God looks like, what, what he feels and what he goes through, we just simply look at Jesus. See, when we're in pain, he feels our pain. He feels our anguish. He feels us struggling. In Isaiah 53, this is what we read about Jesus. He was despised and rejected a man of many sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. See, friends, Jesus bore our sins, but he also carries our sorrows, our hurts, our pains, our anguish. Jesus cares about us. He cares about us so deeply that he wept. And all of this leads us to our first thought this morning as we continue our Easter series, Grave Robber. See, God's kingdom is for all people. Everyone say all. all. Mark 5, 21 to 23 is the text we'll be focusing on this morning. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Mark begins our story this morning with Jairus, a synagogue leader who would have been highly respected amongst the community. He comes to find Jesus because his little girl is dying. And he believes that if Jesus comes, that she would heal. But we also experience someone else. Continuing on in verses 25 to 27, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Now, the reason that Mark puts these two stories together is because they are connected. In fact, we have to realize they're deeply connected. It, it, to go so far as to talk about Jairus that without the woman that had to issue with blood is a deep injustice to the integrity of the text because they are so connected. Now, this is not seen on the surface. If you're just casually reading through the scriptures, you may miss it because these two people are very much the opposite. Okay, think about it. Biology 101, Jairus is a man. She is a woman. Jairus is named in the gospel. This woman's name is not recorded. Jairus was honored and respected. This woman was shamed and rejected. Jairus is a ruler in the synagogue. This woman could not even go near the synagogue or other people because her sickness made her ceremonial unclean. Jairus is very affluent, prosperous. This woman is forgotten broke, busted and disgusted. She literally spent all of her money on physicians who made her condition worse. So if you want to bring it into the 21st century, Cyrus is driving around in a Benz. This woman is waiting at the bus stop to catch a bus. Okay, they are starkly different. They have nothing in common on the outside, on the exterior, but life has put them in the exact same time, position, and posture because life has hit them like a ton of bricks. And and they had no control over it, and it was nothing that they could handle in their own strength. Here's the reality. Life has a way of doing this to us. Life, if you will, has a way of leveling the playing field. It's an equal opportunity employer that will blindside us with stuff that leaves us wondering if Jesus even cares about, really, Jesus, are you weeping? Where are you? Have you ever felt that way before? We all do. Life hits us with situations that money can't fix, our degrees can't fix, our personalities can't fix, collecting likes on Facebook won't change. But yet we still try to do it in our own strength. I mean, even Jesus tells us not to worry about tomorrow. Look at Matthew 6, 34. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Every day that we walk through life, it has enough trouble that comes our ways. It's when these situations hit us that we have to realize that that is a job for Jesus. We have to turn to him because he does care, he weeps, right? It's in these situations that we did to throw our hands up and cry out to God. See, Jairus and this woman have nothing in common on the surface, but both ended up in the same place having to push people out of the way just to get an appointment with Jesus. Not one of them has an, had an easy pathway to Jesus. There was no happily ever after that suddenly they just strode up and experienced healing. They both had to physically move people out of the way. Now Jairus, he's a pastor. He's not supposed to be pushing people. Like if I roll in here and start pushing people, you're leaving, right? You're leaving. You're out of here. You're like, man, that guy's not nice. I mean, some of you don't even think I'm nice when I talk. So If I start pushing you, it's over. Right? Imagine Jairus. He's walking through this crowd. He's like pushing people out of the way. Hey, man, you had a good talk yesterday. Great. Get out of the way. Right? <laughs> Appreciate it. Can move. This woman, she was ceremonially unclean. She wasn't supposed to touch anybody. That day, she touched everybody to get them out of the way. You're like, wait a minute. Why, why are they being so aggressive? Like, calm down. What's their problem, Chris? Well, Matthew 11, verse 12 from the Amplified says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault and violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. See, these two people were seizing the kingdom of God with force. They saw the precious prize. They saw the healing they needed. And what did they do? They went after it, which leads us to our next thought. See, desperate people take desperate action. Desperate people take desperate action. And and I believe when we're desperate for God to move in our life, we're going to approach God differently. We're going to come to these Sunday gatherings differently. Heck, when we're desperate for God, you're going to be in your seats before the countdown ends. Can you believe that? When we're desperate for God to move in our life, we're going to raise our arms. We're going to sing louder than anybody else, no matter what anybody else thinks. When we're desperate for God to move, tears will stream down our face. And gentlemen, you won't care that anybody's seen you cry. If you're here this morning and life is hitting you with something that only God can fix, my question to you this morning is this, will you get desperate? will you get desperate? See, God will use desperation to push you into purpose. God will use desperation to deliver miracles in your life. In fact, desperation is the door that breakthrough walks through. Desperation is the door that breakthrough, this breakthrough that so many of us want, walks through. And I hear people saying all the time, Chris, why haven't I experienced freedom yet? Why is it so hard? Why isn't God moving in my life? It's probably just you haven't gotten desperate enough. Desperate enough for God to move. See, desperation will open up doors, but let me tell you this, complacency will keep them shut. And and too many people in the church of America are complacent. And they want their music a certain way. And they want their prayer a certain way. And they want their preaching a certain way. And if they don't get it, peace out, I'm going somewhere else. And that's just not God's best. Desperate people make the impossible possible. And what I want you to see this morning is desperation brought these two people together. Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood met at the feet of Jesus. Remember, they had nothing in common on the outside, yet they both ended up at his feet. This is a picture of the gospel. This is a picture of the good news, the church, God's kingdom, that people can gather together over all different likes, appearances, economic levels, but all be accepted and loved the same way. Let's just simply take a look at their desperation. Jesus, I mean, excuse me, Jairus arrives at Jesus first. He's desperate. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter's dying. He said, please come and lay your hands on her, heal her so she can live. Isn't it cool to know that Jairus believes what we believe? He must have been a little Pentecostal, you know. Come on, Jesus, lay your hands on my daughter so she can be healed. His little girl, his baby girl is dying. dying. So when he arrives at Jesus, he is speaking with a man that is talking to a 911 caller. He had just dialed 911, and he is calling out, my little girl is dying. I need you to come to my house. I need you to get here quickly so that she can be healed. But see, this woman was just as desperate. She had been experiencing a chronic illness, a bleeding, a hemorrhaging that would not stop. Mark 5, 28 She heard about Jesus. She came up from behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch him, I will be healed. And see, the amazing thing is, so many people miss this. Watch how much Mark wants us to know that the two of them are deeply connected. Mark 5, 25 and 42, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. So we have this daughter who was 12 years old and this woman who was struggling with her health for 12 years, they are connected. 12-year-old dying daughter, 12-year-old disease. You know, chronologically speaking, the same year this little girl was born is the same year this woman received her negative diagnosis. Cinematically speaking, let's go to the movie side. If the producer of The Chosen were to shoot a movie or a a, a, a one-hour TV show about these verses, that's where this scene in the movie would switch from being at the feet of Jesus to a hospital. And written on the screen, it's going to say 12 years earlier. Walking out of the hospital is Jairus. And his wife walking hand in hand, big smile on their face, carrying their newborn baby. Walking out of the same hospital as a woman with tears rolling down her face after being diagnosed with a disease that the doctors had no idea how to solve. Heck, maybe they were both at the same hospital, yet they didn't even see one another. And it's so true in life. We can be so preoccupied with our promises, with our gifts, with our blessings. Or we can be so preoccupied with our personal pain that we don't even see other people around us. We can be so excited that God is moving, that God is changing lives. Or we can be so disappointed and mad in God because he hasn't answered our prayer that we can't even see people right around us that are in need of help. I mean, we are living in a selfish, individualistic society and we forget to just simply look out. We've forgotten what it means to live out, Romans 12, 15. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Friends, let's not become so concerned about us, about me, that we miss the other people around us that are so desperately in need of help. Now, the two people may have not seen each other at the hospital, but guess what? They were forced to see each other at the hem of his garment. See, now the 12s are touching someone say 12. Say it again. Now, how many of you realize you don't need a Bible degree to know that there's some numbers in the Bible that God has given us some clues, maybe even some blues clues to know that they're a big deal. Okay. 12 just happens to be one of those numbers. 12 is an important number to God. See, when God made a covenant with his people that began with the call of Abraham, continued with Isaac, and culminated with Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons. Those 12 sons represented the power and the authority of his covenant with his people. Those 12 sons would go on to become the 12 tribes of Israel. Those 12 tribes represented the power and authority and strength of that nation. In the Old Testament, when the priests would walk into the Holy of Holies, On behalf, remember, only the priest could walk into the presence of God, representing the people of God. He would stand before God wearing a breastplate with 12 precious stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. This would stand for God's power and authority. In the New Testament, there was a new high priest who was named Jesus. The first time we see him teaching in the temple is at the tender age of 12, and the people marveled at his power, and authority. The things that make you go, hmm. When that 12-year-old turned 30, he went on to choose his disciples, those of whom he would do life with, share life with, and impart God's kingdom. Many people that read the story think, Jesus, why didn't you stop at 11? Jesus said, no, I need a hater. Give me Judas. I need 12. Which gave him 12 disciples. What did Jesus do with his 12 disciples? He gave them the power and authority to heal the sick, cast out demons, and share the good news. 12 is the number that represents God's power and authority. What is Jesus trying to teach us? Does it matter if it's a blind eye, a deaf ear, a withered hand? Does not matter if it's an issue of blood, a disease, a broken heart, or even death itself? There is absolutely absolutely nothing that you are facing this morning that is not under God's power and authority. In fact, Isaiah 54 tells us, in the coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. No weapon turned against you will prosper because God has the power and the authority to make the impossible possible, which leads us to our next thought. See, awareness of God's authority, that's what equals freedom. Awareness of God's authority equals freedom. Your awareness of God's authority will determine how much you receive in this life. Your awareness of God's authority will determine how much you receive from him in this life. See, quite often, many people reduce this text to faith. Because in Mark five thirty four we says, He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Right? Different people grab those words. They say, Your fr- hey, friend, you, you need more faith. You don't have enough faith. That's why you're not healed. You're not experiencing freedom because you don't have enough faith. Faith is important. We all know that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We all need faith. I believe in that. Faith, if you will, is our anchor. Everyone say anchor but no one takes an anchor and throws it off a boat into the water without it being attached to something. I mean, if you were riding down the Potomac on Rick Troxel's beautiful boat, and he decided to pause and lay out in the sun for a minute, he says, throw over the anchor. If you throw over the anchor without a rope and it being attached to his boat, what good is it? Right? You're going to keep floating down the river. The anchor is going to be lost. In spiritual terms, our faith Our anchor, if you will, needs to be connected to something. You know what it needs to be connected to? God's authority. See, the authority we discover in the Bible and that we read about throughout the Old Testament and the New. The authority that we experience through the Holy Spirit living where? Inside of us. Our faith has to be connected to his authority. And see, if we don't believe that God is the ultimate authority, then our faith is going to struggle. So many people think they struggle with faith. When all, quite often our faith is strong, but you need to make yourselves more aware of his authority. You say, well, how do I know that's true, Chris? Where, where is that in the Bible? Let's go back a chapter to Mark chapter 4. See, there's this story in Mark chapter 4 where there was this big storm at sea. The disciples are in a boat with Jesus, and it just so happens that Jesus is asleep. And when we read about this storm, many scholars point to it being a storm big enough as to, to be like a hurricane lots of wind, lots of whipping and rain, lots of, lots of difficulty. And, and we see the disciples here. What do they do? They wake him up. Teacher, don't you care? We're going to drown. Right? And, and couldn't you just imagine? He's just laying in the, in, this, in the back of the boat, chilling, got a pillow. Right now, I don't know about you, but when I wake people up from a nap, they're not happy. Right, when I wake my wife up, my kids up from a nap, or I'm too loud, or the dogs are barking, guess what? They come down the steps and they got this grumpy face. They're not happy. Okay. So I guarantee you, when they're yelling at Jesus, who's just trying to take a nap, he woke up, he's probably a little annoyed. He he doesn't quite know what's going on. And you can almost see him waking up, all groggy eyed, looks out at the looks out at the storm and just says, peace. And it's over. Like it, it, the Bible says, it all stopped. The wind stopped. And there's a great calm. And then the disciples are like, Who is this man? Where's all this authority come from? But Jesus says, Why are you so afraid? You still have no faith? You see the connection? The disciples were terrified. Who is this man that can stop this hurricane? Jesus responds, Where's your faith? Their faith was little, it was small, because they did not have awareness of God's authority. If the disciples would have known who Jesus really was, guess what? When this storm was all around them and they saw Jesus sleeping calmly at the boat in the middle of a hurricane, it's not bothering him. Move over, Jesus, I'm gonna cuddle up beside you give me a pillow. Right? And it's so true. You and I stress over stuff in our daily lives that we shouldn't be stressing about. Why? If the, if the same God has the power and authority to calm the seas, to, to stop a hurricane, to right the sh- ship, he's going to remove our stress, anxiety, and, and worry. But see, many of us don't realize the power and the authority that God has. You know why? Because we listen to the news, the internet, political pundits, and we relate them to the ultimate authority, and they aren't. Social media is not the ultimate authority that many of you believe it is. Jesus is. Jesus is the ultimate authority, which leads us to our next thought, and many of us struggle with. See, God's timing is different than our timing. I see everyone last year. Been there. For Jairus, for Jairus, he recognized Jesus' authority by coming to him. Right? He requests. He says, he says, Jesus, please come. Lay hands on my daughter. The woman, however, she had a whole other level of awareness of God's authority. Look, she wasn't worried about meeting Jesus. She didn't want to introduce herself. She didn't want to have a conversation with him. She just knew, if I touch him, I'm going to be healed. Because she had been suffering for 12 years. Look, she had suffered a great deal from many doctors. She spent everything she had, and she got worse. Now, in Matthew chapter 8, there's an officer who had a whole nother level of authority awareness. Matthew 8 tells us about this officer who says this to Jesus. I am not worthy to have you come in my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. Think about that awareness of authority. And you say, well, well, how did he know that about that awareness? He continues, I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers. I have the authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they will go or come and they will come. If I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. And then Jesus says, I've never seen such faith. The servant was healed by Jesus simply speaking a word. He didn't have to visit. He didn't have to lay his hands on. He just simply spoke it because the soldier had faith and an awareness of God's what? Authority. It's both and. The woman, remember, she had been going to people, specifically doctors, for 12 years who had no authority over her condition. I mean, you want to get practical here? Let's think about this practically. Practically. Now, have you ever been on a phone call, right? You, you, you get your uh, bank statement or your credit card statement in the mail. You see a charge on there that doesn't quite line up. Well, I didn't spend that money. I didn't purchase that. And you get on the phone with customer service, okay? And, and you're on the phone with customer service, and you be- quickly begin to realize that, that this customer service agent is not solving the problem, It's not exemplary customer service. They're just giving you the runaround, and you don't seem to be getting anywhere. And then when you finally get frustrated enough on the phone, who do you ask to speak to? Thank you. Can I speak to your supervisor or your manager, or it may be at a restaurant, wherever it is that you're going. Now, in my family, I don't do those kind of things. I guess I'm super saved or something, but when I have to make those kind of phone calls, you know what I say. I say, Jess, get on the phone and make that call. Listen up, I've seen it before. Jess is on that phone. She's not getting off that phone until she gets to the top of the chain of command and that problem's solved. And every time she gets off the phone, that problem's fixed, that bill's off, or we're getting a free dessert or a free appetizer or something. I'm like, damn, you should have been a lawyer. I said, we wouldn't be struggling with any kind of money. Can I send you to law school? now here's the crazy thing. It wasn't anything that she said. It was her persistence and the truth that she finally spoke to a person in position of what? Authority. We have to begin to realize the power and the authority that we are given when we're in a relationship with Jesus. See, this woman went right to the authority and she received her what? Her healing. All she did was touch the hem of his garment. But see, here's the problem, and this is why these two are connected. This healing also was an interruption. Because, see, Jesus stopped. And where was Jesus headed? He was on his way to Jairus' house. See, look, Mark 5, 23. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come. Lay your hands on her. So she can live. See, Jairus got to Jesus first. And imagine, you know, I like to paint pictures for you like we did last week. Imagine the joy on Jairus's face when he falls at Jesus' feet, pleads with him to come to his house, and Jesus says, sure. I mean, my man's like getting up. He's like, you mind if I do backflips to my house? But here's the problem. He turned to look, and what was in front of him? A crowd. And last week we learned that those crowds normally number in the thousands. So suddenly Jesus says, Yes, Jairus turns and looks, sees a giant crowd, and he realized he has to get through this crowd. He has to get Jesus through this crowd in order for his daughter to experience healing. So just imagine. Right, Jairus, excited, passionate, turns. Excuse me, excuse me. You know, he's getting through the crowd. You know what it's like to go through a crowd? You should elbow a few, move, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And then the whole time he's doing that, he's looking back, is Jesus with me? Because he's trying to get Jesus to his house. So he's looking back, yep, Jesus is there. He keeps going, excuse me, excuse me, pushing people out of the way, making room. Yep, he's there, he's there. And then suddenly, he excuses someone, and he looks back, and he sees he lost Jesus. Right? He lost Jesus. Jesus is gone. That's what the text said. Because Jesus, what did he do? He decided to stop. Decided to stop. So Jairus had to go back through the crowd, figure out what was going on, where Jesus was. Right? He gets back and he sees Jesus. And what is Jesus doing? Jesus is standing there and he says, who touched me? I mean, could you imagine what Jairus is feeling? who touched you? Thousands of people around. Everyone is touching you. Like, what is going on? Now, he may not have said that to Jesus, but I know if I was Jairus, that's what I'd be thinking. Like, you playing 21 questions or something? What is happening here? And then you take it a step further, right? Not only is he asking who touched him, Finally, the woman comes forward. Think about it, though. This woman had been sick for 12 years. She couldn't be around people. She couldn't be near people. She couldn't go to the synagogue. She was an outcast in the society. Guess what? This woman isn't going to run up in front of Jesus like I did. Like she had to work up the courage just to stand in front of him. And then, right, to take it a step further, it goes like this. Jesus takes the time to talk with her. In the bible it says that she told him the whole truth and then in another translation it says she told him her whole story now, now wait a minute Did everyone hear that she told him her whole story she now now ladies i'm not knocking you i'm not knocking you or anything but look if you send me an email and you're like hey I want to tell you my whole story. Guess what? I'm going to block out the entire afternoon because that's how long it's going to take. Like pull up a chair. Like someone get Jesus a chair. She is telling him her whole story. Why can't you just be like the guys? How are you? I'm good. Peace out. It's a both hand. I get it, guys. It's a both hand. Now, remember, these two are connected. What's Jairus doing? He's waiting. He's just sitting there waiting. Like, lady, get your healing and go. Like, my daughter is dying. Can you just move on? You don't need to tell the whole story. I mean, Jairus just sitting here watching this woman share her whole story, and then to make matters worse, guess what? Jairus just watched this woman receive her healing. And we've all been there before, right? We've seen people get healed, and we've been struggling for years. We've been having a pain, an anguish, a heartache, whatever. We've been struggling for years. Wait a minute, why'd he get healed? Why'd she get healed? Why, they have children, right? And suddenly that pain can well up in our heart and we get frustrated at God. Like, well, why is all this happening? Look, I just want to encourage you. God doesn't show us miracles or testimonies about miracles to discourage us. He shows us miracles and testimonies about healings to encourage us. Because the same can happen to you and me. But we have to realize, everyone hear this. It's not in our timing, and it's not always the same way. It's not in our timing, and it's not always the same way. See, Jairus and this woman both wanted the same thing. They both wanted healing. And then the unthinkable happened. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. Which leads us to our next thought. Jesus is the resurrection and life. While he was still speaking to her, the woman that received the healing, messengers arrived. said, your daughter is dead. Now imagine the pain, the anguish that must have gone through Jairus' heart when he received that news. And see what many of us have to realize this morning and so many people don't want to acknowledge, for resurrection to happen, something has to die. For resurrection to happen, something has to die. And then to make matters worse for Jairus, look at his friends. His friends didn't help. There's no use, Jairus. Leave the the teacher alone. Give up, Jairus. Your daughter's dead. Give up, Jairus. She's not going to get healed. She's not going to get resurrected. Give up. And see, we have to guard against people in our lives that are negative towards the kingdom of God. We have to guard against people in our lives that are negative about his promises and his authority in our lives. We can picture Jairus standing there, dazed, confused, conflicted, angry, when he receives this news, all of them summed up. And then Jesus looks at him and he looks at us and he says, Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. That Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. And see, I believe this is where the story switches. See, suddenly Jesus stops the crowd. They don't follow Jesus, uh, Peter, James, John, and Jairus. They are following Jesus. And Jesus is now leading Jairus where? To his home. I know where you live. I know what you're going through. I know how you feel. Let's go. And Jesus is leading the way. And notice, we need to follow Jesus even with a broken heart. Look at Mark 5 39 and 42. He went inside. And he asked, why why all this commotion and weeping? The the child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. In other words, Jesus said, get out. Jesus said, "Just, just get out. And see, there are times in our life that we have to do the same thing. And see, what many of you have to realize, and I believe what God wants to speak to you this morning, it's not necessarily with people, but it's with the enemy. And so many people want to know, well, why do you have death on the stage? Well, look, pride, get out. Shame, get out. Fear, get out. Doubt, get out. Anxiety, get out. Worry, get out. Does that make sense? Some things aren't going to get up or change in your life until you get the other things He took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying, holding her hand. He said to her, "Talitha kum, which means little girl get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. So this morning, I want to invite you to check your environment. Check your heart. Check your relationships. I believe that God wants to bring things to life in you, but... Some things you got to tell to get out. Which leads us to our action steps. You know, you want to experience some freedom this morning. Just six simple steps that we're going we're to work through together that I believe you apply to your life this week. They're going to change your life. Number one, what is your low point? What is it? See, without a low point, there's no reason to have a breakthrough. If you can't be honest with God, if you want to put the picture on that everything's hunky-dory and perfect, guess what? He's not going to change you you got to acknowledge that you have a low point. A breakthrough is quite clearly something that stems from a low point. I mean, look at Jairus. His daughter's dying. The woman had been dealing with constant bleeding for how long? 12 years. 12 years. We have the power inside of us to unlock breakthrough. But you got to recognize where your low point is. Which leads us to our next step. Just analyze your story. And we say, well, Chris, what's that mean? Just analyze what you're saying to yourself. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. God doesn't love me. It's my fault. It's not my fault. It's everyone else. No one loves me. No one accepts me. No one encourages me. What are you saying to yourself? Mark 5:26, what? She had suffered a great deal from doctors who said, I can't help you. She spent all of her money. She got worse. Look at Jairus. Your daughter's dead. Forget it. Beware of the lies that you're telling yourself. You got to make them aware. You're not going to have personal breakthrough unless you decide to form new, empowering stories about you and believing what God's call, power, and authority is in your life, which leads us to our next step. Just be bold. Like, Just stop sitting around. Plead fervently with him. A little girl's dying. She heard about Jesus. What did she do? She pushed everybody out of the way, touched everybody she shouldn't have just to touch him. No breakthrough can occur unless you cut off all other options. And decide, I'm changing. In other words, stop believing the lies. Make a choice. And the moment you make that decision is the moment your life will change, I believe. And then when it changes, you move to your next step. Just establish some new standards. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. The girl who's 12 years old stood up. See, these new standards are trusting God's authority in our life. Don't accept what the world is telling you about you. If you need to delete TikTok, please delete it. If you need to get off Facebook, get off of it. If you need to stop reading Fox News or CNN or Independent America or the world all around news or whatever it is you watch, stop watching it. Because they're all full of lies. Don't accept what negative friends and family say about you. And if you have to, just say no and move on. That's how you pursue abundant life. Amen? Which leads us to our next step. Number five, just adopt some positive habits. Adopt some positive habits. Jesus stopped the crowd. Wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, John, and Jairus. See, Jairus began to follow Jesus. If you want to experience a breakthrough and just keep living the same way, you're not going to get any results. Well, Chris, why ain't I changing? Why, Why isn't God doing something in my life? Well, chances are you're deciding not to read the Bible. You're deciding not to pray every day. And you're choosing not to serve. See, habits are small acts each day that you do repeatedly that end up having a lot to do with your success. You need to read the Bible. You need to pray. And you need to serve. You need to do those things. And if you're not doing them, I want to challenge you to do well, well, Chris, how do I read the Bible? Um, open it up to Matthew and start reading. <laughs> or have your phone read it to you. Pray. What is that? Just start talking to God, man. Pray without ceasing. Just talk to God without ceasing. Well, how do I serve, Chris? Oh, team-ups today. I mean, just hang out with Kelsey. Learn how to serve in our community of faith. Well, I'm nervous, Chris. I don't know what that means. Come and give a flower away with me and Jess in the square this Friday. We're going to give flowers away. Dude, it was so cool. Listen to this testimony. First gathering, is so, my sermon changes from first to second gathering because I hear all these testimonies of people leaving from the first gathering. So you guys are super blessed, right? <laughs> this woman gives me this big hug, man. And she looked at me and she goes, You realize something? The whole reason I'm at this church and God changed my life is because you gave me one of those flowers. She said, I work downtown and I got one of those flowers, and here I am. Child of God. Right? I mean, everybody knows at Christmas we have the we do this thing called angel tree, right? Everyone knows that? Many of you bought presents. For, for kids of incarcerated parents. Well, we're going to take that a little bit further because we have such a connection with the Angel Tree program. And, and Len and Lisa are going to start a new, new growth group on April 21st called Embracing Families. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to go through an eight-week growth group learning how to connect with incarcerated family members and children that need help and, and, and need hope and need encouragement, Right? And that's going to start on Thursday, April 21st. And Len and Lisa said, hey, invite everyone to come to the community dinner at 6. So you get a free meal. I mean, they're going to cook you food. And then they're going to start the group at 6.30, right? So if you want to be a part of that group, talk to Len and Lisa. My point is, you got to create some habits. Which leads us to our final step. Be clear on your Why? You need to know why you exist and what your fundamental goal is. And listen, if you're in a relationship with Jesus, your why is other people. It's not you. Your why is other people. There's a reason, right? There's a reason that Jesus said, go in peace. He didn't say, follow me in peace. He didn't say, stick around in peace. He said, go in peace. Your suffering is over. And in Matthew 22, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. The first the greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're in a relationship with Jesus this morning, your why is other people and impacting other people with the good news of the gospel. And what a better week to do it next Sunday happens to be? Easter. When you leave here, you're going to be given a six-pack. Right? now some of you are like is it bud light or miller light it's not either it's six pack of cards that you can invite people to our community of faith in our easter gatherings amen and if you go out and do that i believe they're going to come in here and experience new life because i'm seeing the impossible become possible in you will you stand with me So I felt God prompt me that that he was going to move in this place this morning, that miracles, signs, and wonders were going to happen. But we want to set that environment, amen? That some of you are here this morning. You're hungry. You need a breakthrough. You need to meet God. Well, I want to challenge you. This is your opportunity to begin to cry out, extend your arms to God, because he's going to move amongst you in a minute, amen? Amen. Let's sing together.
1: no breakthrough is coming by faith i see a miracle my god made me a promise and it won't stop.
0: Hey, God, who, who needs a breakthrough this morning? And the first group of people I want to pray through is people that may be pessimistic about life. You're just a negative Nancy, right? You're just, you're just pessimistic. You're not seeing your life as half full. You see it as half empty. And God wants to change that outlook. All right, so if that's you, we just slip your hand up, but we want to pray for you. Oh, there's a lot of people like that. Wow. All right, if you're around someone, look, you're all the prayer team here. It's time to get busy, okay? If you're around someone, keep your hand up, and and when someone is praying for you, put it down. And look, you don't even ask them what to pray for. You know they're negative. So just pray positivity into their life, right? All right. You got someone? Here's another. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. And there's a couple people here. Ladies, come on. Two ladies here. All right. All right. More hands back here in the middle. I need some people to pray back here on my right, right here. All right. Now the next, the next group of people or person I want to pray for. Look, you got a left foot problem, an arch. You got an arch issue or an Achilles in your left foot. Is there anybody here like that? Anybody here with a left foot issue? Yep, right there, right there, Mister. Tim needs prayed for thank you yeah left foot left foot arch migraines was the third thing migraines anybody got migraines man you got she needs healing right here migraines a couple people here in the middle migraines Yep. Yeah, over here oh over here yeah I need a young lady over here I need some other lady over here yeah. And then we just got a right eye issue. If you have a right eye issue. Oh, Mr. Tim again. There you go. He's, he's getting set free. Come Holy Spirit. Yes, God, move. Setting free. Anybody else? Yes, God. Ain't God so good, isn't he? Jeez. If you all keep praying for those needs, if the rest of us listen the rest of us could go to a place of prayer. When I was praying, I felt like there was going to be prodigals here this morning, and you know what a prodigal is, someone that ran from God and decided to come back, so if you're a prodigal or you have not started a relationship with Jesus this morning, today's your morning. Okay, so if that's you, no one's looking around, it's between you and God, just slip your hand up so we can pray for you. Is there anybody like that? Yep, 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 yep. Hey, we all pray together here. You know that. Jesus, I'm broken. I'm full of doubt, shame, regret, negativity, sin. I need you. I believe you're God's son. I believe you died for me. Make me new. Set me free. Put me on mission to serve others. In Jesus' name. And we all said together, Amen, amen.